Chronicles uh, with the first verse. And they brought in the ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord and distributed to all Israel, both men and women, to each a loaf of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. That's a lot of food. Then he appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord to invoke, to thank, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph was the chief, and second to him were Zechariah, Jael, Shemrathmoth, Jehiel, Mataniah, Elihab, Benaniah, Obed-Edom, and Jael, who were to play harps and lyres. Asaph was to sound the cymbals, and Benaniah and Jehaziel, the priests, were to blow trumpets regularly before the Ark of the Covenant of God. Then on that day, David first appointed that thanksgiving be sung to the Lord by Asaph and his brothers. O give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works, glory in his holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice, seek the Lord in his strength, seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he utters. O offspring of Israel, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. When you were few in number, of little account, and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O family of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established, it shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice, and let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar in all that fills it. Let the field exult in everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever." Say also, save us, O God, of our salvation, and gather and deliver us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen, and praise the Lord. 
and then to Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. And then finally, to 1 Peter chapter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. May God bless to us these readings from his holy word. Hallelujah. Well, I have a bit of an assignment uh, here over the next uh, number of months, uh, and uh, number of months, number of weeks at least, it might be a number of months, and it's really to talk about a dynamic of God that we all know, we all think about, we all probably believe in, but most likely we have never really thought about how important it is. And many times, as Christians, we don't really believe in this aspect of God. Yet, if we really believe this to be true about God, and we live in this faith, and we walk in this faith of this truth about God, it will totally change our lives. Knowing this truth, believing this truth, living this truth in relationship with God will make all the difference. And I believe that it's the loss of this understanding for us as believers, even though we all believe it, the loss of this has been one of the reasons why many people don't want to hear about Jesus. It has hurt our witness. It has hurt our uh, 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 our, our uh, contact with people uh, all around us. And this dynamic about God is one of the three great characteristics of God. There are very few things in the Bible that completely characterize God where the Bible says, God is this. Now, one of the most famous ones is uh, obviously love. But the three characteristics that really encapsulate the essence of God's character are three words. God is holy, God is love, God is good. God is holy, God is love, and God is good. And we're going to be looking at the third of those characteristics over the next number of weeks. God is good. What does that mean when we say that? And what does it mean for us to be good and to act in a good way? 
in light of the goodness of God? Do we really believe that God is good? What does it mean if we do believe God is good? What difference would it make in our lives if we actually believe that God is good? Now, it is impossible really for us to fully comprehend God's goodness unless we first and foremost have a vision of God's holiness. Of these three characteristics, God is holy, God is love, and God is good, the preeminent of the three is God is holy. God's very essence, God's very character, God's very nature is that God is holy. There's only one word in the Bible that is repeated three times to describe God. And it's done both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This characteristic of God is so preeminent that in the book of Revelation, we discover that there are angelic beings that never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. From before creation came into being, and until uh, uh, and beyond the time that creation as we know it ceases to exist and there's a new heaven and a new earth, the angels will cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we all will cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But what does that mean to say God is holy? Well, first of all, it means that God is completely separate from, completely different from, wholly other than His creation. At the root, the word holy means to be set apart. It means something that is special, something that is different. When I was growing up, my mom had a china cabinet. That's what we called it there. Uh, we called a dresser, I think, here. Uh, and in this cupboard... At a glass front, it was sitting in our dining room, there was special dishes that we could look at, but we couldn't touch. And the only time we got to encounter these special dishes were two times a year normally, uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, when we were having our big meal. And even when mom had a dishwasher that wasn't named Rodney or Tammy, that's me and my sister, even when she had one of those automated ones, you would never put these dishes in that dishwasher. Because, in a sense, these dishes were holy. They were set apart for a special purpose. And that's part of the root meaning. And certainly in terms of God, it means that God is wholly other. If the universe would cease to exist tomorrow, God would still exist. God existed before the universe. God will exist after the universe. Uh, If the universe completely rebelled against God, it wouldn't matter because God is totally separate and God could eliminate the universe at no loss to Himself because He is holy. And God's holiness speaks of His majesty. It speaks of the fact that God is the sovereign creator of the universe, that God is over all, that God is beyond all, that God transcends everything. 
There is nothing that compares with God. There is no God in this world that could compare with God. There's no human that can compare with God. There's nothing that God could could create that would compare with God because God is completely holy. And His holiness also speaks of His absolute perfection for God. God lacks nothing. God doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't need our prayers. He doesn't need our praise. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need anything because God is holy. He is complete in Himself. The fact that God desires to share Himself with other people, that's more of a function of His love that we'll talk about in a moment. But God is awesome in His majesty. If we saw God in His holiness, we would cry out just like Isaiah did there in Isaiah chapter 6, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips and I'm living in a people that are not clean either. Because God is absolutely perfect. He's morally perfect. He's perfect in every way. He's perfect in His character. He's perfect in His power. He's perfect in in, in His transcendence. He's perfect in His unchanging nature. He's perfect in His knowledge. He's perfect in, in every way because He is holy. And this holy is awesome in the sense of coming into contact with a nuclear reactor and being put right in the middle of it would be awesome and awe-inspiring, but even that doesn't compare to the absolute holiness and glory and majesty of God. So God's transcendence, His nature is God, His character is God, His awesomeness, His infiniteness, all speaks from this word God is holy. And we need to understand this holiness of God. We need a vision of God's holiness because you get a vision of God's holiness if you tap into just a little bit of it. You don't need what Isaiah had. If you tap into just a little bit of it, you begin to realize how awesome and dare I say terrifying God is in His holiness. That is God's ultimate characteristic. And that is God's fullest description. Holy, holy, holy. That's why we don't play around with sin. That's why we have to be careful when we come into his presence. You know, sometimes we get really casual because we know Jesus. And that's a key thing. And we'll talk about Jesus along this way. <clears throat> as we go along down this pathway. But uh, we need to understand the greatness of God's holiness, that God is completely set apart from this. And that's one characteristic. But without this characteristic, we will always distort every other characteristic of God. If you do not understand God is holy, if you do not understand that transcendent majesty of God that awesome terribleness of God that comes from the fact that God is holy, that He is infinite, He is perfect in every way. If you don't understand that, you will always compromise the love of God and the goodness of God and everything else from God. So holiness is that characteristic there. But at the same time, 
If you don't understand the next two fundamental characteristics of God, you will distort his holiness. And that's one thing. Islam, I think, really does have a glimpse of the awesome holiness of God. But they have no concept genuinely of God's love and God's goodness. There is there. There there is a bit of a revelation there. But that revelation keeps people bound in fear, doesn't free them to deal with their sin. And so you have to have an understanding that God not only is holy, and that that is his preeminent characteristic, so you cannot diminish that characteristic of God. We dare not diminish it. We dare not bring it down. But God is not only holy, God is also love. Now, love... It's not some mushy stuff, you know. God, God doesn't look at us. Uh, you know, I, you know one, of the, one of the things I've noticed about parents, and I, I've been around long enough, even though I haven't had a little baby myself, I, I've been around uh, people who have had little babies long enough to know that I, I, maybe the first time, but I've never encountered this after a child is like six, six months old, say, where a parent goes, hallelujah, my baby pooped in his pants. And I get to go and I get to clean up that baby poo. Oh, I love the way that poo smells. It's so good, you know. I I think I'm going to save that poo. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take that poo and and I'm just going to put it in the freezer. And then when the child's about 10, I'll bring it out and say, see what you did when you were a little baby. It was so cute. Oh, look at this. You know, I I almost see your face in it. Nobody does that. It's gross. It's disgusting. You wouldn't even think about doing that. And yet sometimes that is almost the image that people have of God's love. And I say, oh, you know, God, don't don't worry about your sin. Don't worry about that stuff you're doing wrong. God doesn't really mind that all that much. That's not love. It's not some mushy, gushy sentimentality. God is love, but God is love in that, out of his holiness, out of his transcendent majesty, out of his glory, out of his moral, ethical, and, and characteristic perfection, out of his, the perfection of his being that God has chosen to share himself with us. God's love is demonstrated in God's self-giving. And in fact, that's one of the reasons why we embrace the concept of the Trinity. The Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God existing, one God in three persons, demonstrates the perfect love of God. The Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Spirit, the Spirit exalts the Father and the Son, and they exist in perfect unity. The way that we know God is Father is because we know Jesus is the Son. And the way that we encounter the love of God, Father and Son, is through the work of God, Holy Spirit, living inside of us. God is love in that He has chosen to give of Himself freely to us. And even when we made the messes, even when we had messes that we could not possibly clean up because of our sinfulness, which was an affront to God's holiness, 
Notice God's holiness will burn up sin. God's holiness will consume sin. God's holiness will not tolerate sin in any way, shape, or form. In the midst of that holiness, when we had sinned, God chose to give of Himself to eradicate that sin. It doesn't just clean up the mess. It doesn't put it in the freezer to bring it out uh, 10, 20 years from now. It totally obliterates the mess through the cross of Christ. And that's God's love. And that's why the cross is the perfect demonstration of the love of God because out of the cross, it is God giving Himself fully and freely, 100% to us through His Son. And even the gift of His Holy Spirit just expands that because He doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't leave us as orphans. He gives the Holy Spirit to live inside of us so we can be connected to Him in His awesome holiness because of His love. So love him, God Himself defines what love is as that zealous, self-giving commitment to others for their benefit. And in fact, that is why one of the reasons why God created us is to demonstrate what love is not only to us, but to the entire creation. God creates us and even allows us to fall into sin, uh, creates that possibility to demonstrate His love as well as His holiness to the entire creation and how those two things go together and how those two things can be expressed and intermingled by that very God who is holy, holy, holy. So God is love in that God has given Himself freely and continues to give Himself freely. That's why God is merciful. That is why He's forgiving. That is why He's faithful. That is why He's steadfast. All those characteristics of God flow out of God's holiness and out of God's love. And if we did not have a loving God, we would totally fear the holy God. If you don't know God is love, then the best response to God is to run. Because otherwise you could be utterly consumed. And why are we not consumed? Because of the love of God. So God is love. God is love. God is holy, holy, holy. And God is love. And those two characteristics go together. But then God is also good. And many times we believe that God is holy. Many times we believe that God is love. But we don't always believe that God is good. And so because of that, a lot of times we're afraid. We think, okay, God's going to do something to me. He's going to make me do something that I'm not going to like because actually... You know, he's holy, and yes, he loves me, but he's not really good, and he's not going to really take me into a good place. Or we, we, we kind of think, okay, yeah, God is holy, and God is love, but, you know, maybe out of his love, he's going to strike me dead and make me a crispy critter and send me to hell uh, uh, for whatever reason. And so we start to not really believe that God is good. We kind of question what God does. 
And by questioning what God does, we begin to question God's character. We begin to question, oh, really? Okay, maybe he's loving, but, but he's, he's going to love me and he, he's going to kill me somehow. He's going to love me in a way that's not going to be for my good. And so we question that. And we forget that almost every, many of the times when God is mentioned, His steadfast love, His covenant faithfulness is mentioned, also His goodness is mentioned. And God is good. God is good. In one sense, saying God is good means that He's beautiful. He's wonderful. He's pleasant. If we really get to know God and we understand that God is good, even though we might be terrified because God is holy, and even though we might wonder, you know, what's going to happen because God is love, but when we get to know God who is good, we find that knowing God brings joy. Knowing God brings delight. Knowing God gives us an insight into that which is truly beautiful. The way to experience the highest pleasures in this world genuinely is through knowing God as good. When you understand that God is good, you can embrace the good things that God has created. And you can embrace the good pleasures that God has given because knowing God is good means you understand He's beautiful. He's delightful. He's wonderful to be around. But knowing God is good also means that morally He's good. That His goodness means that He's not going to do bad things. Now sometimes the things that God does might seem bad to us and certainly might feel bad to us, but you know, if something looks bad and feels bad, it doesn't mean it is bad. I've known a lot of people over the years. I've sat with them, been, been with them through various kinds of surgeries. And, I, and I've been through with some people who've had to have open heart surgery, tragically. And they come out of that surgery, and I guarantee you, they don't feel good. I have never met a single person who's gone through open heart surgery who says, wow, I'm glad I did that. I wish I could do it again next week. Because it doesn't feel good. And I've never met a single person who's gone through open heart surgery who looks at that big scar on their chest and says, wow, that looks cool. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start getting these open front shirts from now on. And, and I want to, you know, because I want to show off this big scar there. Uh, because, boy, that, you know, that, that, that really looks good. And yet, time after time, when I've talked with people who've had the surgery, as they've recovered from that surgery and they go on to live another 10, 20, 30 years of a full life, they also say, you know, that surgery was good. Didn't seem good at the time, didn't feel good at the time, but I know it was good. And when we know that God is good, we know that whatever is happening, whatever we're going through, is coming out on the other side because God is morally excellent. God is beautiful. God is morally excellent. In His very nature, in His very essence, there is good. He cannot do that which is bad. He cannot do that which is not good. And he knows the perfect goodness because he is the perfect goodness. 
He's the perfect designer of everything. He knows what is good. He knows what works well. He can declare what is good and He can declare what is bad because God in His very nature is good. And so we need to learn and discover the goodness of God. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to just celebrate God's goodness. Over the next number of weeks, we're going to look at different aspects of God's goodness. We are going to explore what it means to say God is good. And we're going to explore what God has done is good. And we're going to explore what it means that we are to be good in light of God's goodness. How do we live? How do we love? How do we interact by the goodness of the Lord, through the goodness of the Lord? And how do we become beacons of God's goodness to the world around us? You know, there's seven and a half million people within 15 miles of where we are right now who need to know God is good. Because when you know the goodness of the Lord, it's hard to do anything else but follow Him. You know, and that's what Peter was saying. He's saying, okay, guys, put away this junk. Put away the, the, the bad talk and the things like that that you can do. Just get rid of it. Get rid of it. And start to go after the Lord. Desire that pure spiritual milk. And then go on to meat, as the writer of the Hebrews would say. Go after that. Now, why would anybody go after that? Why would, any, why would any adult think about it? Why would we go after baby food? Why would we go after baby food? Because we know we've tasted that the Lord is good. And if we really know the goodness of the Lord, that propels us on. Knowing the goodness of the Lord, understanding the goodness of the Lord, believing the goodness of the Lord drives us to know more of God's goodness. It's a little bit like when I, uh, when I go and, I, and I, I discover from time to time, I'll walk into a small town, uh, we'll be touring around, and I discover a bakery. You all know I love pastries. Even though I've cut back on the sugar, I still love the pastries. And I always look for something that's special in a bakery. I know there's, there's one in a, in a community called Street. It's over, let's see, that's west. It's over Yonah. And, uh, and, and I know this bakery in Street. And every time I go there, you know, a lot of bakeries just have the, the same old plain Jane kind of stuff. But they have this raspberry and apple strudel thing about this big. And you know what? I've tasted that, and it's really good. And do you know that I will be tempted to drive the three hours that it takes to drive to street? And I'll give it an excuse, because that's where Clark Village is there, this outlet mall. And so I'll say, you know, Karen, it's time. I think we need some more uh, um, uh, sheets. Yeah, we need some more sheets and they've got a really good shop there that has cheap sheets, right? Uh, or uh, towels, uh, or uh, 
uh, oh, there's a, there's a chocolate place there. I think they have a Thornton's chocolate there. So Karen, you know, maybe we need to stock up on Thornton's chocolate for you and we'll go there. Now she knows, I mean, she's smart. She knows that I have, it doesn't really, I don't care about the shopping stuff. You know what I want to do? You know, we get in there, we get into the mall and I turn to her and I say, you know, I think I want to just take a walk, you know. I'm a little tired of shopping now. We've only been here for five minutes. Well, that's okay. I'm a little tired of shopping right now. So I just, I think I'm going to walk into town, you know. And I, I just do this. I'm just really cool. You know, I, I'm just going to take a walk. I need the exercise. Yeah, I need the exercise. All the while, you know, I think I'm fooling her. But, I, you know, I, I know it, it's an unspoken thing, you know. And then I walk and I go and, uh, and thank God every time I've gone there, they've got one of these raspberry and apple pastry things and it's good and because I've tasted that it's good I will go miles and hours out of my way to experience that goodness when you've tasted the goodness of the Lord nothing else satisfies And when we are people who can show the goodness of the Lord and help others taste the goodness of the Lord who don't even know him, that hunger, that taste will drive them on and draw them to Jesus. In these next few weeks, we're going to taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are good. I praise you that you are holy, that you are majestic, that you are awesome in your majesty, that you are awesome in your transcendence, that you are awesome in your glory, that you are the only true God, the creator of the universe, that you are the only God No other God compares to you. No other God is like you. No other God is you. I praise you because you are holy. And I cry out with the angels, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Heaven and earth are filled with your glory. And I thank you, Father, that you are love. That you're the essence of your being and your every action, your every thought is love. And it is a perfect love. It is not a love subject to human sympathies or human weaknesses or the vagaries of human mood swings. But your love is constant. Your love is perfect. Your love is persevering. Your love bears all things and it's made a way for us, even in the midst of our sinfulness that is an affront to your holiness, has made a way for us to be with you through your Son, Jesus. And I thank you, Father, that you are good. You are beautiful. You are excellent. You are worthy of praise. You are pleasant. You are joyful. And every thought that you have is a thought for good. Every action you do is an action for good. You are incapable of bad. 
And so I thank you for your goodness. And Father, we thank you that your holiness, your love, and your goodness are all expressed so perfectly through the Lord's Supper, through the table of the Lord. For in this table you demonstrate that you are a holy God who must deal with sin, who must atone for sin, that it's removed from your presence because it cannot be an affront to your holiness. And you demonstrate in this table that you are a loving God who did not spare his own son, but when the time was just right, gave him, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those of us who had sinned under the law so that we might have life and have it to the full and be perfectly united with you by your Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus by your grace. And we thank you that this table is a demonstration that you are good. That even in the blackest moment, even in the darkest time, even when the whole earth, the clouds covered the skies, and it looked as if you turned your face away from Jesus hanging there on the cross, you demonstrated your goodness because in the cross of Christ, you showed your goodness by atoning for our sin. You showed your gentleness by doing this in the best way possible. And in the resurrection, you showed your goodness that the power of sin, death, and hell could not overcome your holiness, could not overcome your love because you had determined to be good. As we come to the table today, I pray that you give us a renewed vision of your holiness. Establish us more firmly in your love. That you'd show us your goodness that we might taste and see that the Lord is good. Bless this bread that it might be for us the body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Bless this cup that it might be for us the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.